back to Anime Death Spiral, the only anime podcast that is going to be king of the basements. I am Nate, and as always, I'm here with Remy, and uh, I think we, it's finally come the time for us to, to talk about the thing. So it's come to this. It's come to this. We have no other choice. <laughs> uh, the pressures that be, both political uh, and fantastical in the world, uh, have decided that today is the day that we finally talk about the live-action Netflix One Piece show. Everyone else is doing it, and we are nothing if not bandwagoners. Yeah, it's true. Uh, it's true. We must latch on to the meaty vein of of this content uh, while it is relevant, uh, like the like the ticks that we are. <laughs> when we started this podcast, I said, the only thing I want to talk about is whatever else is talking about. That's it. That's the only <laughs> thing I have interest in. Okay, but uh, don't tell me that you didn't watch the the One Piece show and you don't have stuff to say about it. Yes, much like how uh, the Evangelion reissue made people start talking about Evangelion in the most annoying ways possible. I was one of them. One Piece has reignited the most annoying One Piece discourse in the history of anime. I'm very excited. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm super excited to hear what y'all think about uh, one piece and which parts of it are problematic or not uh, i think that uh, <laughs> uh it's gonna be hard to pin down one, just one thing that was problematic i have to say there was one huge omission in the live action show from the the manga which is hilariously problematic Okay, let before we before we just start noodling on this, let's kind of, let's try and break <laughs> down this show in somewhat of a of a structured format. If you insist. We both watched all eight episodes. I just finished it, the last one uh earlier today actually, so it is fresh in my mind. Uh I finished the the last episode earlier wait, today. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Episode 8 episodes? Did you say 8 episodes? Yeah. Is that true? Uh, yeah, there were there were only eight episodes. Holy shit, there were eight episodes. I yeah, can't believe it. They that ran pretty long, long, you know. It, it was too long and only eight episodes? <laughs> wow. Okay. That's insane. That's <clears throat> insane. Actually, that kind of did just blow my mind. Because I did watch them all in one big block, uh, in my defense. You you did the Netflix thing. You you yeah. did the binge. I was not I was not counting as as the minutes ticked by. The thing is, I had done the math. Uh, you haven't read the manga, so I, I did have to uh, reveal this to you. But it covered just about a hundred chapters of One Piece. Okay, uh, you know, six minutes a chapter uh, per episode, right? Uh, that's not a lot of time to cover an entire chapter. But now you're telling me eight. My math is totally off that means less than six minutes per chapter what are we talking about four four and a half minutes per chapter you have to understand uh and again i am not a one piece guy we've established that it's part of the show uh lore at this point but uh from my understanding for you know comments i was seeing online said they removed an entire uh rival pirate crew as part of sanji's arc uh and and cut them down to just kind of like a background cameo so I see where they're coming from. And I see why they had to do that, you know, shorten it down to like an eight episode 
hour long each uh, season because they have a lot of stuff that they need to to work through, right? Well, like I said, uh, just about 100 chapters they attempted. They made a, a pretty big buy, uh, which I honestly, that, maybe that's like the first thing, the very first thing we could say. Why did they choose to bite off that particular amount? I think it's because they really wanted to establish the core crew uh and get all of their like backstories uh and major like uh beginning arcs in like in this first season right and so you have to do that to nami sanji and and zoro all while still selling a like concurrent storyline you're, you're you're forgetting someone <laughs> uh oh right and uh and Usopp. <laughs> uh nobody <laughs> likes Usopp. <laughs> that's really funny yes I, I understand that from a structural standpoint. I just think that's an interesting place to start. Like, the uh, the overall structure here, putting together the crew. It's weird, though, because, uh, no, not to spoil it for people, um, but there's more crew members. There's, like, at least, at the point we are now in the story, there's at least four more guys who are gonna, who are gonna enlist. So, in a way, it is sort of an arbitrary stopping point. I mean, I no, I see it. Uh, I don't know. The logic makes sense to me to stop it after, after getting Sanji back and doing the the Nami's betrayal and the Arlong stuff, um, which I can only assume is much more drawn out and impactful in the manga and show or anime than it was here. Uh, I I can see it. I I feel like they were trying to purposely pack in as much of the iconic imagery that made people fall in love with with One Piece to begin with, right? Because I'm not even, again, not a One Piece guy, uh, but I still remember seeing quite a bit of it on TV as a kid growing up, and I recognized a lot of the story beats that they covered. Um, so I feel in terms of trying to draw in uh, as big of an audience as possible, to keep the show going like yeah i understand why they needed to hit all of these story beats in 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 the first season okay well how about this because as uh, another podcast i quite like says a lot uh, i am uh, poisoned by knowledge here i have read a lot of one piece Uh and um after watching the show i did go back and read every single chapter that they uh quote unquote covered in the show so uh, i'm gonna attempt to avoid just making the most rote direct comparisons um but i will have a hard time uh resisting that so i want to start with uh your impressions here let's start off a second time with this uh i think i liked it you liked it yeah okay that's a good starting point i think i liked it um uh what do you think well let's just start there i think i think uh, I have complicated feelings. I think if I did not know what One Piece is and I did not care about anime or manga... I mean, that's almost me. Yeah, I know. Uh, I think the fact that television right now uh, sucks... Well, yeah. To put it bluntly, <laughs> to, to expand on that, that television and... and 
in general is sort of a uh, completely unimaginative uh so many things that are are dropped on us these days especially in the netflix formula are just uh like completely brain dead wrote retreads of shit we've been watching for 10 you know 15 years now just over and over again what was the last major live action television uh landmark that you can think of that really uh, changed the game you know i i want to say I mean, okay, the obvious answer, like, the biggest obvious answer is Game of Thrones. But I feel like that is going on a decade old now, right? Longer. Game of Thrones is a good... Game of Thrones is a very good call. I I, I, I kind of want to give was... the credit to the last one, to Westworld. But even that fell apart after, like, season two. Yeah, and, you know, it's interesting because both of those things are pre-existing media, right? Game of Thrones is a book series and Westworld was a movie. Well, it was a book that uh, was adapted into a movie in the 70s. Sure, but it's still... it's The, the people remember the movie. Actually, nobody I remembers the book or the movie. will not stand for Michael Crichton erasure. <laughs> Look, I really like that movie. Uh, I think that movie, uh, you know, predating Terminator, it is the first Terminator movie. Oh, right? absolutely, they, and Yul Brenner is terrifying in it. Uh, he's what great, a cast. and there's... Yeah, there's a great scene where they remove his face, which is one of the most iconic things in sci-fi movies, I think. Personally, yeah. I think it's incredible. Love it. Then they, they recreate it in the first Terminator as well, when he pulls his uh, eyeball out. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, we can we can sit here all day and talk about the cultural impact of Terminator on, on pop culture. I certainly could. I could talk about 80s slashers for, like, hours and hours. Oh, I easily. love them. Love them. Okay. But the point is a unique television show that changed the landscape of television. Now, obviously I'm a little biased here because my mind immediately goes to lost. I think lost came out and really truly like transported people into a new era of television. It was kind of predates uh, prestige television, but, but it was in that vein. And I think it was so imaginative and unique and strange. And it just like glanced off the American brain in such a way that it like truly changed things. In fact, and it spawned it spawned so many imitators. Like even today, they're still kind of trying to remake one. Uh, my my favorite, just as a aside, was Flash Forward. Do you remember that one? Uh, I've heard of it, never seen it. I loved it. Uh, it was about ev- uh, the story begins with every single person on Earth having a vision of like three years in the future. Um, and then they all wake up and everybody on earth just has to like deal with that. Okay. Uh, it's so cool. I don't know I if this is idea. in the same vein, but, but I used to watch a, an older TV show, uh, from the nineties called early edition. Have you heard yeah, of that? Yeah. Yes. Of course. I know early edition uh, yes. about the guy that gets tomorrow's newspaper a day early. Yes. Yes. It's fucking cool as hell. What a great idea. I, yeah. I do really like that idea. I'm sure they stole it from someone else, but, like, I do really like that idea. You know, there's also a manga that does that. A guy gets a manga from the future, and then he gets popular uh, just ripping that manga off until he meets the person who is destined to become the mangaka who draws it, which mm-hmm. is a cool idea. Anyway, the point I was driving towards is I think uh, divorced from One Piece, the original property, the, the j- massive fucking... Uh, media giant that it has become. I think watching One Piece is extraordinarily uh, fun and imaginative 
and interesting and uh, most importantly uh, escapist but not in that way that like dipshits online use it where they're like oh I I don't want my media to have politics I mean in the way that it imagines a world uniquely unlike ours yeah yes In, in the more traditional sense and that is something television kind of fails to do I think that's a, a reason uh, a lot of like fail millennials uh, ended up in in uh, kind of the the cartoon gutter, right? Uh, because it was uh, cartoons were aggressively trying to portray uh, unworlds, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, our our particular of... age group is is like uh, particularly emblematic of that because we grew up. It being like stoner college students when Adventure <laughs> Time and Steven Universe and regular show were on the rise, right? Yes, I can't. I cannot deny it. I I am definitely one of those Adventure Time losers. It's uh, become ingrained in my personality. I I'm not gonna make bones about it. Yeah, but you know that's that's kind of uh, an interesting aspect of that, and uh, I think we don't get that kind of stuff. I think for the most part. Uh, what are your options, really, when you get down to it? Any breath of fresh air, I think, is huge. Uh, and I think that's what's going to uh, push One Piece into, like, some very big popular spaces. And yeah. so coming at it from that angle, for me, watching it from that particular perspective, with my blinders on, uh-huh. uh, I liked it. I thought... Wow, what an interesting, unique, imaginative show that's really pushing the boundaries of like what can exist in the current uh, zeitgeist, right? Yes, that's exactly uh, what really charmed me on it. Uh, I think I think that's a really good way to put it uh, because I I did have a certain sense of like uh, they're not trying to do like the. Uh, you know the 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 2000s like realistic quote-unquote gritty reboot of the ip yeah filled with winks like, yeah it's filled not, with the it, winks it, doing the marvel uh, wink wink nudge nudge like we know comics are lame uh kind of thing it's it, to to that effect i what a lot of people have been saying and what i think i agree with now is that the people who made this obviously had a a palpable amount of love for the source material and wanting to adapt it, not just in a faithful way, but also in a way that looked as good on screen as they could get. Let let me put it that way. Well, I think what they were really, what's really great about it is that it doesn't try to get the manga part of it in by winking at us and and you bring up marvel is exactly the correct uh way to uh get in that yeah because marvel the the whole thing they've constantly been doing is hey we're making these movies but like hey wink wink like this is you know for the real fans like hey you know we're kind of dropping like what you guys like a little bit of sugar for you right uh but these are like these are serious movies i mean they're fun big you know blockbusters but hey you know these are it's still like uh, a, a, an action, a, a grounded action movie. Hey, do you think it's weird that no one ever talks about Marvel movies as like live action adaptations, right? The way they do, like the way we're doing about One Piece or like any other anime stuff. Like people seem to have this uh, understanding that those are definitively just movies and not 
not adaptations of comic books. I think I think there is a very specific thing that happened when Iron Man came out. And I think that was Marvel putting the gun to the head to that concept and pulling the fucking trigger, right? <laughs> when Iron Man came out and they were like, this isn't your fucking grandpa's Iron Man. This Iron Man's about 9-11, uh, you know? And oh, shit, I forgot. I, yeah, that was them going like, fuck comics <laughs> like in the most in the most basic terms i think that was what happened when they when they really dropped that shit like hey the bad guys in the new iron man movies are the guys who did 9-11 and iron man is like the brave troops i really think that was them just dropping the hammer on that entire argument and since that day you're absolutely right people don't talk about them as uh, live action adaptations of comic books they are their own thing they yeah. are marvel movies and so they are allowed to exist outside of this baggage that that something like one piece has uh, going into it right i mean even with the game of thrones stuff we still talk about them as adaptations of the books yeah for sure uh -huh. which is interesting uh yeah i i think that uh that lets them off the hook uh way too much <laughs> agreed yeah uh so it, it is you're absolutely right it's incredibly refreshing that like uh when they were making this they weren't like hey we're gonna do little winks at the audience to be like haha we know it's ridiculous that's why we're just hinting at it you know they were like no we are straight up gonna have this guy like wear whiskers on his fucking face I honestly, I, I thought that it was going to be a turnoff for me, but it grew on me like super fast. Well, it's funny you say that too, because like that is exactly what I explained to people and you about uh, when they complain about the art of One Piece itself. They go like, take a first look and they go, I don't know about that. It looks kind of okay, like, Well, that man. is something that I was trying to work up to because the show like legitimately has me a, a second guessing all of my initial opinions about one piece onto why uh i initially <laughs> thought it was unappealing like i think yeah. i get it now yeah i think that was the secondary motive of the show itself and i think it does a really good job about that i think as a as a, a secondary objective uh the optional uh side mission of the show i think they did a very good job with that uh, of intriguing people you know what i mm -hmm. mean now speaking speaking of the like the the side eye wink wink stuff, they did have one, and I don't know if this is like an actual joke adapted from the comics, but the whole uh, running joke about uh, how lame it is to call out your special moves, like that seems like a pretty <laughs> obvious one. Yes, that is, I and I wonder about that. I mean, like, is that a bridge too far for like an American live action? audience because like they do it unironically in live action sentai stuff all the time yeah well, uh, japanese stuff i mean uh to that all i can say is that they did not call out special moves in power rangers the american adaptation of the tv show uh i don't know i i am a i am of the opinion overall that i think it's weird for the characters uh, even in comics, to physically yell out their their finishing move. Uh, <laughs> I like it when it's just kind of like a, a uh, meta-commentary like subtitle to the panel. I think that makes sense. I like that. I understand where it comes from, 
and like principles in in martial arts of of using like vocalizations uh to to kind of channel you know the the mental energy your key yeah to you know <laughs> i i understand that but i think in practicality especially when it's been so mutated for like the the uh you know the shonen like saturday morning cartoon aspect of it i i don't think that it works in in live action application <laughs> well it's it's a wrestling thing i know it's a wrestling thing uh but american wrestling they don't call out their special moves the announcer does right the announcer is kind of like the meta commentary for the audience he's the living subtitle uh, well, in yeah, the but the audience does too, right? I mean, it serves the same focus. When you when you call out the Stone Cold Stunner, like that is the same thing. But it's not Stone Cold Steve Austin calling that out to the audience. It's the announcer or the the referee uh, or the commentator going like, "Oh, where well, he's gonna do the stunner? He's going for it." I think if uh, Steve Austin was mic'd up, he he might he might call it up. I I don't know. I don't know. Uh, anyway, the, the point is like having special moves and stuff like that. That is, uh, first of all, uh, you know, the comic started in the early nineties, like, and the, specifically the material we are covering in this episode is literally from the nineties, uh, you know, over 20 years old at this point. Uh-huh. Um, so it, I think that's inevitable. It, it, it's just part of the DNA at that point. Uh, even if we get into the newer manga where like, uh, like you're saying, a lot of uh, manga itself is being like referential about that kind of thing and, and making meta commentary about yelling out your special moves. Like that is a thing that's happening in a lot of con- contemporary shonen is being meta about calling out your special moves. Yeah. But not in 93. <laughs> not in 93, baby. Uh, they were yelling everything. And Luffy in particular uh, yells out everything. Uh, in fact, there's a whole fucking thing that really bothers me in, in later One Piece where I, the, I, he calls out a lot of moves, and there's one series of moves in particular that I feel like got badly translated and then just had to be stuck with because of, like, constant repetition. Sure. And that really bothers me when, like, a bad translation just becomes the canonical reference, right? <laughs> um, but, yeah, but uh, as, as, uh, as a show... This is, I think, good. I yeah. <laughs> I think that was mo- in the most in the most roundabout way. I think the whole point of me saying that is that I, I I think uh, with my blinders on, it, it was, uh, good and fun, and uh, not boring. I I agree with that. I I think that, uh, I mean, I think it's evident by the fact that I actually decided to finish it. Um, that there was something there uh that was piquing my interest yeah you bail all the time it's true uh i absolutely do at the drop of a hat uh relationships responsibilities jobs uh. yeah you are you are piecing out on everything constantly but you managed to hold through eight episodes that is commendable for sure yeah so so starting from there uh let's i wanted to talk about uh some specific aspects of an adaptation that we can really dig into on this. Sure. Uh, the first I want to talk about is the actual physical aspect of the show of adapting the look of the comic. And especially the fact that they had such an uphill battle uh, adapting what is basically uh, Japanese Looney Tunes. 
Yes. Well, that is an interesting thing because I think that was I, I was I was trying to put off getting into that stuff because that is like where a lot of my criticism begins. And I don't know. I think for, like talking about what we think works is probably the best way to go first. Okay. So what works? Let, let's start there. Um, yeah. I love practical effects. Practical effects is one of the strongest aspects of this show. Absolutely especially in in costuming and kind of the adapting the look of the fishmen and and the yeah. very outlandish anime like uh fashion and hairstyles uh, i think they did a pretty dang good job overall i'm not saying perfect there is some stuff where it really uh, stretches the viewer's suspension of disbelief especially yeah. i think the cgi surrounding luffy's stretchy power uh yeah um yeah that's I mean, probably the most in your face example yeah i think some of the buggy stuff was maybe uh not so great yeah i would say for the first prong of the unholy trinity the the bad wigs were kept to a a very a very minimum i think yeah i i think they're the for most part hair costume you know, facial prosthesis, all pretty on point. It looked pretty good when it wasn't. Uh, regarding hair, I hold on. Uh, regarding sure. hair, how do you? Where do you fall on going straight like uh, color matching uh, versus like the more common adaptation technique of doing like a natural hair color highlighted by the more cartoonish color or something that's <laughs> supposed to like give the effect of. You know what I mean? You mean uh, like how Kobe has straight pink hair? Yeah, or uh, the one I was thinking was Zoro's uh, bright turquoise hair. Yes, I think in this context, that was absolutely the right call. I Re- think that yes. is, okay, yes. is definitely correct. Uh, you know, people having bizarrely colored hair uh, is good, and it helps to reinforce the other bizarre aspects of people's appearance. It makes it clear that, like, this is where we are. This is what we're doing. When you see somebody who has a, something incredibly bizarre uh, glued onto their face, uh, you're supposed to be like, oh, that's goofy. You're, you're allowed to think, oh, that's goofy, and not be like, oh, that's, that's bad. It's, oh, it's goofy, and that's what they're going for. Yeah. That's you know the first thing that I, I think of in all these adaptations is that that is going to be the most off-putting part. But like you said, in contrast and in conjunction with the much more fantastical elements of the story, it actually kind of uh, made me uh, believe more, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it, it definitely does. You know, it makes uh, it clear. Uh, uh another uh, another reviewer of this show that that I was listening to compared the effect to the way the muppets work and and how <laughs> the uh more fantastical elements of them being in a practical you know being a practical effect as opposed to CGI actually makes yeah. you uh draw more into the illusion instead of being distracted by the uncanny of uncanny valley oh absolutely and, and of course it helps that you know 
these are things that are on set. The actors are looking and reacting to them, obviously. You know, that kind of thing always helps. Yeah. Uh, you know, when the actor is, is interacting with somebody who completely looks bizarre or a character who has pink hair or whatever, I mean, that, that helps an actor to get into the right mind space to portray somebody who's supposed to be, you know, be in this lived-in universe. You know, that's it's funny that you say all that because, like, honestly, this is this is, like, the first of my getting stoned by the audience uh, opinion. Uh, I don't like um, Inaki. Is that his name? Uh, Luffy's actors. I don't like his hair. Oh man, I I'm glad that you said it yeah. first. I didn't want to be the one to say it first. I thought that he was the weakest casting of the whole crew. Well, I won't say weakest casting. I, I don't think he's the weakest casting, but in hair in particular, I understand why they kept his hair that way. Uh, but it's not Luffy's hair uh, at all, really. Uh, and I, I, I found it disappointing, I guess. It's such a small detail, but, you know, that's... I mean, you can take that up with Oda because he's the one basically saying that the casting is so perfect that he's yeah, drawing it I, wrong and I now. get it, and, I, and that's, you know, if that's his take, then, you know, who am I to argue? But, like, maybe he should have figured that out 30 years ago, that Luffy had curly hair and not straight hair. I, I don't know. Uh, I, d- d- there is a Luffy that exists in popular imagination uh, for a thousand chapters of a manga, um, and he he doesn't have curly hair. But you know that's that's the smallest possible fucking quibble that I could have. It feels incredibly petty. Yeah, it is petty. It actually makes you less of a person, less <laughs> respectable. Uh, I think it's funny because like Inaki, uh, Inaki, 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 Inaki Godori. Part, yeah, he is a, a good cast. I, I think uh, he has a lot of the right energy. And uh, here's the next part of uh, getting stoned by the audience is I think he was poorly directed. I can see that. I can absolutely see that. Uh, I did yeah. like his energy overall, and I can see why Oda uh, likes him so much because, goddamn, that guy really likes him. Uh, it's weird if you follow his socials. He's he's charming. He's personable. He's energetic, and he's fun. He's like a cool dude. See, like that's that's a that's an incredible asset for like an actor, especially someone who's like coming up. Is like Inyaki himself looks like a cool dude and seems fun and cool. Like that yeah. is like that that is good. Like <laughs> you know, Luffy aside, he seems like a fun, cool dude. But I agree that overall, it seemed like his line direction really fluctuated uh, all over the place. Uh, a lot of times, it really felt that he was he was reading off a script to me. You know, sometimes it, it felt like he was really selling it, um, especially when uh, more serious, like, uh, uh, parts of the story were, were playing out. Here's what I'll say. This is the reason I say it. And it's because it's not specific to Luffy. It's not specific to any any one character, especially in the core crew. I think the problem with Luffy, and this is the same problem I have with Sanji, Zoro, Nami, and Usopp. Uh, and this is weird to say about cartoon characters, um, but... For the live action show, their personalities have been flattened. I can see that. They are not allowed to express uh, the kind of range that the characters have in the manga. Well, I mean, isn't Sanji in the manga kind of like a sexual predator? Yes. I mean, honestly, probably like for the most part, Sanji is probably the least emotive out of all of them um, and is closest to his his manga 
uh, counterpart. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I will say I I despise Sanji. I hate him. I think his role in the story fucking sucks and is the thing that keeps me from like loving One Piece is it's particular Sanji. Uh, so yeah, you know, you know, take it or leave it. That's how I feel. But th- and this is this is getting a- ahead of ourselves because I wanted to save the quibbles for later. Um, but I do think the when I get to, when we get to it, I do want to talk a lot about the creative directorial moves and adaptational moves that I think are th- by far the biggest problems with One Piece. Okay. All right. Uh, I here's what I think is interesting. Uh, One Piece. Uh, for the most part, aesthetically, um, they had a lot that they could have chosen from. I'm thinking like the mask. Yeah. Shaolin soccer, perhaps. Yes. Uh, I've heard Shaolin soccer was a big inspiration for for the crew. Really? Because yeah. it does not look like that on the screen at all. Uh, what the biggest inspiration is, obviously, and this is maybe sounds pat because it's so close, but like. Pirates of the Caribbean is the touchstone for almost every part of this series. Yeah, I mean, I think that is okay. So you're you're an American film crew doing an adaptation for Netflix of of a pirate show, a beloved pirate uh, manga, a uh, goofy pirate comedy. Let's say there is absolutely no way that the a writer or producer uh, didn't say at some point like, all right we have to confront that no matter what American audiences are going to be thinking about Pirates of the Caribbean when they watch this. Yeah, and I think they leaned into that. I think so, too, especially with, uh, you know, back half of the show when they introduce the Fishmen. Um, You can really see the inspiration there in the way they adapted the look from the manga to the screen uh, and, and lifted a lot of design elements from the uh, Davy Jones crew, uh, the Flying Dutchman oh, crew yeah. in, yeah, in yeah, yeah. Uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Yes. Uh, and, and of course, in Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, all the weird, goofy shit is the best part. Yeah. I don't think that's controversial. Yeah, my favorite part of the, the One Piece adaptation was that scene where Luffy rides into Port Royale on the sinking ship. <laughs> well, it's funny that you say that because, honestly, like, Johnny Depp is doing a, a closer Luffy than, than Iñaki is, really. Again, not not in an acting way, but in a portrayal way. Uh, Luffy is, is uh, you know, as a character, more like a great white shark. He has two modes, uh, and that is move forward and eat. <laughs> sort of, yeah. I, I, I think that's simplifying things, but the Pirates of the Caribbean connection, I think, is really important. Right, because like that is a live-action uh, pirate movie series where the focus is on the weirdness and the comedy and the very classic adventure stuff, and moving from uh, you know islands to islands uh, in search of ridiculous MacGuffin shit. Uh, it's just too hard to ignore, and that aesthetic uh, is so good it carried uh, a series of increasingly bad movies like <laughs> through uh, what up to five yeah five of them purely on aesthetic uh you know and the strength of a couple of performances but uh you know also that you is... know disney being able to tank marketing losses sure i mean they can eat whatever but uh but but uh, they wouldn't keep making them if they didn't think there was something there that people actually wanted you know sure 
uh, and uh, it's interesting that they went that way. Obviously, this in this One Piece show, even though Netflix was dumping into it, obviously does not have the same budget or the same uh, concern, production concerns as something like Pirates of the Caribbean. I um, I think but, that the budget for this was still pretty up there. Like, I don't know if you realize, but almost every ship that they were on in that show was a practical set. I mean, yeah, that's that's great. I, I think it shows. I, I mean, it's good. That's definitely good. I think uh, it's it's more about, like, the the cleanness of it, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think the a lot of the and this isn't to take away from it, but I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of the seams show in the live action One Piece uh, that are that are more invisible in in like Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, yeah, I can see that. But I think you know, one hundred percent, that was the correct decision from uh, from a uh, I don't even know say to a dreamer, a true dreamer perspective. Uh, I think uh, I would have gone with different touchstones if i was making my one piece show mm-hmm. but i think it, when it comes to uh hey netflix is putting these demands on you you need to make a, pr- a practical show you have these constraints um you know you have to attach an audience to this project that like doesn't know what one piece is and needs to be drawn in by familiar aesthetics and that's one of the biggest things netflix does is we need to lure people in using familiarity to other properties right yeah i mean not just netflix everybody does that but but that is a demand that they're making on the show right uh and so in that regard i think they absolutely made the right choice uh okay well let's actually no before we move on uh is casting still uh, what do you what do you think about the uh, discourse around Zoro being too hot uh, in this adaptation? <laughs> I don't know why anybody would have a problem with that. Like, why would you, why would you not want your core cast to be hot? I don't understand why. Uh, what 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 is the concern there? I don't know. Uh, I feel like maybe in terms of Zoro's character specifically, it can lessen the narrative impact of what they're trying to do with his character. To it, to me, he gave off much more of a trying, uh, trying to be cool vibe than than alcoholic bounty hunter vibe. If that makes sense. Well, this gets uh, to something, again, I want to get into more when we're on the quibble side because I, I don't think that has anything to do with his physical attractiveness. I, that's what I'll say about that. Uh, I don't think him being hot has really anything to do with the actual problems with the Zoro character. Okay. My, you know, my perspective. It had never even crossed my mind when I was thinking about that. All right, fair enough. Uh, I think, in general, they should all be hot. It would be weird if Luffy was, like, a super fucking hot guy. Uh, but I also still wouldn't really have that big of a problem with it as long as he was, like, gangly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I think visually I'm, even with the hair thing, I'm fine with Inyaki Godoy's casting um, for for what Luffy is supposed to look like. Uh, yeah. I, for me, most of it really fell on the side of, of his line delivery uh, because I did like his energy quite a bit and that did uh sell me you know on on his character and his character's motivations i just felt that certain scenes he he was not uh selling it in terms of uh uh, of actual delivery of the lines it felt very stage play if that makes sense no i totally get it i I mean when we're talking about this the casting in particular while we're still on this i think the biggest problem 
uh, the thing I really liked before the biggest problem uh, is the the complete uh, unconstraint when it came to like insane accents everywhere. I really appreciated them just going for it. Yeah. Uh, for everyone involved, just like, okay, this guy's Welsh, this guy's English, this guy has like well, a. Well, I mean, uh, some, it, it, some kind Luffy of, is uh, canonically Brazilian. That's been established. Yes, Luffy, Luffy is Brazilian. He's uh, everybody has weird accents, and I really like that. I think that's great. I think that's cool, and I think that is. Uh, definitely, probably one of the most piratey aspects of the of the whole thing for selling yeah. the setting. Uh, you would have a weird mishmash of of like accents from all over the world uh, converging sure. in this uh, in this one area, right? Yeah, I, yeah, I like that. I think it works. I, ver, and you know, verisimilitude aside, I just think that's fun i think it's it's fun and cool and i think everybody should do that like i could not care less if like oh these people's accents don't match like oh what is like i don't fucking care i like listening to their weird accent i think it's fun and cool you know that that said like sanji's weird thing like where i he sort of seemed like he was trying to do a french thing but honestly i could not tell like what the fuck that was supposed to be Oh, I can. Uh, he was trying to do a. Uh, he was trying to do a Caribbean accent. Yeah, because he sounded like he was Welsh to me. It no, sounded like no. Welsh. He was. Uh, um, uh, he was trying to do kind of. It was like almost a South, like South African thing. They're very similar. Oh yes, he sounded a little South African too. Like if a South African uh, smashed into a Welsh accent. Uh, they're very <laughs> that... similar, but he, he it was definitely doing like a Caribbean kind of inflection to it. Okay, that that's going to be very strange when we get to his whole deal, like a, a seven years from now when they when they get to this, I don't know, the twelfth season or whatever the fuck. Yeah, <laughs> they'll have some problems dealing with that, which will be very funny to resolve. Oh, man, it would be so weird if this of all things like became the next Game of Thrones level like. A cultural uh, uh, high fantasy TV show like Touchstone <laughs> yeah. like you were talking about before uh, I have to say I, I would absolutely see it following the same trajectory too <laughs> just like middle aged office white dudes at the you know uh, talking on their lunch break like hey did you see the new One Piece episode yeah yeah uh, yeah I was checking it out with the wife and the kids last night uh, it, it was crazy it was a it was a ripping good time I'm not sure a lot of parents were watching it game of thrones with their kids i hope not anyway you hope not but you're wrong people would be posting stupid memes of like what pirate crew they belong to oh yeah uh they're probably already doing that actually now that i think about it so so on the cast last thing on the casting then this uh, this is my big problem with the casting um okay and we'll see it'd be interesting to see if you agree uh all of the flashback stuff uh the acting was god-awful oh absolutely like terrible. especially zoro's uh, that was really bad. Yeah, I don't know what happened, but, like, not just the kids. And I know kid at good kid actors are hard to find, but, like, the adults, too. It was, like, whoever who was shooting the B-roll, you know, backstory stuff had no fucking clue how to direct these actors because the adults and the kids all sucked. It was, like, bizarre how different... The backstory stuff. Well, you know, it's interesting you bring that up because it, it, it was reported that Oda, uh, who did have a a actual like significant amount of uh, creative control over this project, he personally ordered a bunch of reshoots for for various scenes. 
uh, but no one they haven't really said which parts were the reshoots uh, i'm wondering if the flashback stuff was part of that yeah uh if if not he should have gotten to it because <laughs> man <laughs> i don't i don't know what happened but they really sucked it's hard to find uh, kid actors you know? Yeah, but I I think I really think it was deeper than that. I was just there's something about it. It's just really really weird and bad. Um, and the deployment of them too. I mean, maybe this is also getting ahead of ourselves, but uh, the way that they lumped them together, in direct contrast to the way that they are parceled out in the manga, I feel is also like objectively the wrong decision. But uh, I, I kind of get it with the structure of the show, but I think it was incorrect. Well, that brings that brings us close to something that I wanted to bring up. Uh, maybe we can talk yeah. about this later, but I'm wondering, there are certain parts of this show where I was trying to figure out what was significantly changed from the manga. Um, and, everything. and pacing, I mean, yeah, everything, but but pacing and the way they they presented these characters and their backstories yeah uh, that stuck out to me it definitely feels more common just in shonen manga format to space these out a lot more and also give them a lot more build-up and significance yes the other one that stuck out to me is i'm fairly certain the reveal that admiral garp being luffy's grandfather happens much much later in the comic than than here am i right <laughs> oh yeah that does not come up so a thing oda does around uh about halfway through uh the chapter run of the show uh probably around 50 or 60 is uh cover illustrations become their own stories actually kobe's kobe's and the dipshit kid story is told entirely through cover stories there's no dialogue involved. It's just a series of sh uh, gag panels, uh, single image panels that tell his story. This is also where we get Buggy's adventure comes uh, purely from these uh, cover stories um, that eventually work their way back into the story. But Garp appears. He is not named. He, he does not have any dialogue. He just appears in uh, Kobe's story, uh, cover story. Kobe does not appear in the story again for a very long time, and Garp uh, does not either. This was complete uh, fabrication. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I would say the this show almost immediately begins to deviate as soon as we meet, as soon as Luffy meets Zoro, uh, we are we are taking an alternate path. Uh huh. That's pretty much where we're at, which is really interesting to me because. I don't know if you know this, but like that first section from where Luffy is introduces himself uh, to Kobe and Luffy meeting Zoro, that story was written four times by Oda uh, and released four times. Okay, I I have heard that. Is that um, where the romance dawn stuff comes from? Yes. Uh, basically, there's uh, two versions. One where uh, it's just Luffy's uh, childhood lead up to him setting off on his adventure. There's one where uh, he kind of starts the traditional way that the show actually starts. That was its own standalone thing, except it ends when he takes over the pirate ship. There's one where he starts off liberating a town, which becomes way more like what we actually get. And that's the that's the prototype Nami gets introduced in that one. 
But that's also the one where we are introduced uh, to Garp originally, who wanted Luffy to be a pirate, and Luffy didn't want to be a pirate, which is an interesting choice. Interesting. Uh, and then we finally get to where we actually are. Um, and what's interesting is like where we actually are is the closest to the very first prototype, which I, I think is is interesting and notable. I mean, I like that. I like playing off of unused ideas or um, ideas that have since been, uh, you know, revisioned uh, in the canon and kind of yeah, going back. At, yeah, uh, and exploring an alternate route of what this story could be like. And I think that's yeah. the perfect framework for adapting anything from one medium to another. Because as yes. we've said on the show, we are uh, big proponents of, of, of heavy, heavy adaptation. Um, yes. nothing, uh, nothing can be a 100% faithful translation, uh, when you cross media. <laughs> Absolutely not. And maybe that's, maybe that's what we should get into now is the adaptational moves, because I want to make it clear. Uh, I do have problems with a lot of adaptational moves this makes. Why don't we take a quick break and then when we come back, we can get into quips. Okay, sure. So many times before, you have still refused to learn how to read. It's true. I do not know. Yeah, I don't blame you for not reading One Piece. Yeah, that's right. That's correct. But I have read quite a lot of One Piece. And now we have to get to the the nerdiest and most pedantic part of our our live-action discussion. The horrible fucking comparisons to the manga. All Uh, right. (laughs) Now, this is uh, uncharted territory for me, obviously. So I can only offer what I've seen in the show and and my general pop culture osmosis yes. of what I've taken in, you know, just over the years. I will be trying to uh, shock and amaze you with these uh, uh, non-trivial changes. We were talking about the casting part before, so I want to start there, sort of the difference between the characters, right? I think this is a pretty big difference. Okay. And maybe maybe the most important one? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I mentioned before, when I was talking about my, my problem with uh, uh, the portrayal of Luffy, and I think... I mentioned, but I really think this is the the problem with the portrayal of all of our main cast is that they are they are flattened from their version in the comic, and I'll, I'll try to explain what I mean by that. Please do um, by describing uh, manga Luffy and live action Luffy. Well, why don't you tell me how would you describe live action Luffy's uh, temperament? Um, you know, he is kind of like a. Uh hyper positive um kind of like jim carrey on an up bend uh vibe for me (laughs) 
uh, not obviously uh, nowhere near the the godlike acting skills of Mr. Carey. Yes, the rubber man himself. But I, I think the energy is there. He seems like a, and I mean this in an very in a very endearing way. He seems like a a fan who who has been given their their you know uh, Wonka golden ticket uh, kind of uh, fan <laughs> indulgence moment, right? Uh, yeah, sure, sure. Which is how they've kind of built him to to the fandom. That was kind of the whole narrative behind his casting is is this is the One Piece. Like, he's an actor, sure, but he's also a huge One Piece fan, and we liked his energy, uh, how much he loved One Piece, um, uh, and we took that into account when casting him. Sure. You're saying that his portrayal is inextricably tied to uh, Inyaki's in himself. Yes, yes. I think that that he is portraying a... Uh, exaggerated version of himself more than he is trying to portray the character of Luffy, if that makes sense. Okay, okay. Well, here, let me attempt to describe Luffy as I understand him from the manga. Luffy is uh, a greedy, selfish, inconsiderate, uh, angry, uh, stupid, (laughs) (laughs) Um, kind of a fucking piece of shit asshole whose positivity comes from an endless abundance of self-confidence and determination. Uh, So much so that his desires smash through every barrier of reality. His inability to uh, feel bad or down or doubt himself is because there is literally no mental capacity within him to hold those emotions. Luffy is, is the id. (laughs) <laughs> sort of, yeah. Uh, so the the Luffy in, in the manga, uh, and I think this is maybe the, out of all of those qualities, I think the the biggest failure to portray in in the live action show is his anger uh, and his belligerence. I can I can see that Luffy in the manga is like I cannot say it's enough Luffy in the manga is an asshole you know he is angry and violent okay the way you're describing it that almost makes more sense to me for the character because that is the kind of person who would want to be king of the pirates right yes absolutely and that's what he was taught uh you know uh they try to play Shanks as a complete fucking saint in the in the show which is interesting, and I think he, he is definitely portrayed as a, a, an idealistic hero in the manga, too, so I don't think that's really far off. Um, but he is still a, a violent pirate. <laughs> you know? Can I, can I ex- express one of those um, absorbed pop culture moments about One Piece that I know about Luffy? Sure. That goes with what you just said. Like, one yeah. quote that I've seen thrown around is, um, Luffy doesn't consider himself a hero because heroes have to share their food, uh, but pirates don't. Well, that, I mean, that's a direct quote from his own mouth. So, okay, yeah, <laughs> he says that himself. Uh, <laughs> he is constantly, I mean, it comes later on in the story uh, when our, our, main, our main loop has really been firmed up and is uh, repeated many times that, uh, yeah, Luffy doesn't want to be a hero. He doesn't want to be the the chivalrous uh knight of justice right because what he does he only does it because in that very moment 
he wants to. He wants to eat, so he steals food. He wants to hit somebody, so he fucking hits them. When people fuck with his friends, he gets mad. He gets mad enough to beat the shit out of them. Um, but he doesn't ever feel bad about that. A pure emotional reactionism. He has never felt bad about anything he has ever done, whether it was good or bad, objectively. I, I think that is who Luffy is. Um, and I think, and this applies to a lot of the characters, I think they failed to capture how angry these characters can get. Because uh, Luffy really gets, he gets very angry at the drop of a hat. You know, at uh, the drop of a straw hat. And so do the other characters. Nami gets very angry. She loses her temper all the time. Uh, obviously, Zoro does. This Zoro is probably the biggest uh, departure from any of the characters because he's played as this sort of dour sad sack um, who refuses to, like, show any I've emotion. heard him described as fuckboy Zoro. Yeah, I guess. But even that, like, he's really, he's really trying to play, like, uh, I don't know the the stoic, right? The sad stoic with the tragic background, and he doesn't want to like uh, admit to anything or ever express anything. Where Zoro in in the manga is a he's a rogue, you know. He gets angry, he laughs, uh, he jokes around, uh, but he is he's grumpy, not stoic. Uh, I mean, that is a big difference. I feel. You know, Zoro makes fun of Luffy a lot. He's constantly laughing at how stupid Luffy is. You know, that's a big, big difference. Now, uh, uh, and I, uh, this is what I mean when I'm talking about the flattening of these characters. Here, let me let me ask you this: Did you uh, did you recognize Zoro's actor? Because he was in another live action movie that we watched. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I did. I did not. It did not ring any bells. You want you want to take a guess? Uh, I couldn't even guess. I have no idea. He played Scar in the live-action Full Metal Alchemist movies. Oh, shit, really? Yeah. Uh, wow. Um, uh, in fact, he has a long rap sheet of live-action anime adaptations. That's really wild. Uh, he was in a live-action of uh, Tokyo Ghoul, live-action Kenshin. Oh, no. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, we got well, paid more yeah. than $2,000. Oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, well, I would have recognized him from that, I guess, but it's been a long time since I watched those. Uh, he is in an upcoming, um, Japanese TV live action adaptation of Knights of the Zodiac. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> oh no. Uh, so he's getting work. I mean, good for him. Good for him. Again, this is not his fault. Uh, this is an adaptational move by the directors. They chose to portray these characters uh, in this way. You know, it, yeah. it ultimately the decision lies with them how they are going to give their actors direction, you know, and they chose to direct their their actors as more one dimensional than the comic book versions of these characters, which is strange. So I'm you interested know? in getting your take on the character of Usopp in that context, because um how does he compare to his to his manga anime counterpart? Well, he's much more of a soft boy uh, in in the live action adaptation. I uh, feel yeah. like in the manga, uh, again, this is just a guess on my part. What they were going for is very much a uh, a boy who cried wolf motif, right? That is literally 
um, who he is. His name is ripped off from Aesop. Yeah, and Aesop. The combination of the name uh, Liar, right? That's he, his. That's where his name is derived from. Okay. Um, so yes, he is literally the boy who cried wolf, and he has his. He has a great sob story that is exactly tied to that, um, which they abridge a little bit uh, in his in his flashbacks. Yeah, I, in in the show, he is a lot more likable. He's more portrayed as like a soft boy who, um, you know, has a a, a good heart, and uh, he kind of uh, boosts himself up because you know, like he feels uh, yeah, not not particularly strong or or uh, helpful in any way, right? And and his main character at that point in the story is watching uh, his best friend die. <laughs> like that's <laughs> that's what he has going on in his life. You know, in the manga, he has his his pirate gang, uh, which is the the village boys that uh-huh. he hangs out with a lot, and he gets to be uh, bossy and rude uh, with them, right? And oh, so we I see can a whole see that I can see Usopp. that filling out more of the persona of Captain Usopp that he tries to put on when he's showing off. Yes, right? we don't we don't get captain Usopp really because captain Usopp exists with his pirate crew of the young boys. It's kind of like taking the lost boys away from Peter Pan. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. That's a, that's an apt comparison, but Usopp again, again, like I, I think this is a flattening of the characters in that, uh, Usopp doesn't have room in the live action, uh, adaptation to be an asshole, uh, which he constantly is. He is, he's also has a big side of him where he's, a fucking asshole, <laughs> you know? Right. He's constantly trying to excuse his own bad behavior with lies. Well, because I mean, he as pirates, like, uh, wouldn't all the characters, like, that's, I feel, is kind of a defining characteristic. It's like a theme, right? Is that all of these characters do have very, like, pronounced flaws to them. Um, and that's what makes them pirates, right? Yeah, I, I think it just, it it's more of like a humanizing move. It's like, it's one of the things that makes these characters so in- endearing to begin with in that they are not um, our, our uh, you know, our shown-in protagonist who sits uh, at the back of the classroom staring at the window, who is the little, you know, soft boy uh, who is desperate to, you know, show off uh, his his sense of justice, right? Well, it's None because of the characters people, are that guy. It's because people love the lovable rogue archetype. Like... Yeah, sure. Yeah, like, that's the whole selling point, right? Uh-huh. You know, in, in the same vein, like, Nami is is much more of a lovable rogue. I feel like, again, she is kind of like wound down for some reason she's not played as 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 roguish as she is uh nami is very loud in the manga like in many different ways you know she is uh constantly uh moving between two different dimensions right she is she is playing as a a very lively uh roguish puck and the straight man to to luffy and zoro and and usopp uh, she's kind of the person. I like that characterization of comparing her to Puck. Um, yeah, I, I think that works. She she is the the kind of gentleman thief, like you know, where well, yeah, okay, I, I love the incredibly you know, self confident, and she she's she jokes around with everybody. In fact, there's a big plot point about how much she laughs with everyone and how fun she how much fun she's having with the crew, mm-hmm. you know. Which uh, Nami is is um. Nami is Lupin 
the hanging out with Bugs Bunny. Uh, yeah, uh, but yeah, but obviously she gets she has to play the straight man more than Lupin does. You know that is kind of like uh, her her role in the story. She is she is both uh like a competent straight man, but very much like the roguish like very charming lovable uh you know thief character uh which were which stooge uh, was the one with the bowl cut um that was the leader isn't that isn't that mo uh yeah yeah uh nami is the mo of the bunch uh yeah yeah she is i would say yeah that's true i think that's a pretty apt comparison yeah and I think that is really important to a character, and it's a, it's a big shame that we lose that because when we get to her story, her main story, which happens at Arlong Park, we get to see that what all of that charming, like uh, cheerfulness and and you know sharp roguishness is covering up is her like deep deep sorrow at the tragic nature of her life, right? I feel like they made her. Um... I feel like they made her much more deadpan in the live action. She absolutely is. Yeah, as opposed to being more of like a, like a, a Genki girl, like a facade <laughs> over. Uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, over uh, her dark past uh, or whatever. Ab- oh, absolutely. What they chose to do was amplify the straight man part and cut away the other parts. And again, that goes back to what we were saying about doing like the Marvel, like wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You know, we know that this is that this is silly kind of thing. That was really her main role, but they qu- also quarantined it to her, uh, so that the rest of the cast, you know, maybe Zorro, but the rest of the cast could really let loose with with how silly this whole thing is and lean into it. Yeah, I, I think that's one of the weird things is we lose a lot of the uh, people call it uh, their gags, right? And mm-hmm. that's what like. Sanji's womanizing is his gag. Zoro's uh, uh, narcolepsy is his gag. Usopp's is that cowardice. his thing? He falls asleep. Yeah, he's a narcoleptic. He constantly oh, falls asleep. Well, that does not come through at all in the show. No, no, it does not. He falls asleep a few times in the show, but it feels more incidental to him just like having to recover from his wounds. But his gag is like he is narcoleptic, and and when he is injured, he just falls asleep and instantly regenerates. That's kind of like <laughs> his thing, like a Snorlax. Yeah, sort of. Yeah. So yeah, we we end up flattening these characters and losing a lot of their gags, which I think is a, a huge shame. Okay, I can see that. Yeah. Yeah, because I think these characters are all very, very charming, and they really jump off the page in a way a lot of manga characters uh, don't at all. Yeah. Uh, now, now I was wondering, can we actually um, shift shift pace a little bit here? Yeah. Uh, and 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 kind of change the tone and i had some issues with the fishmen thing oh yeah well this is something they kept from the manga <laughs> okay so that is lifted from the manga oh yeah do you want to do you want to talk about the problematic aspects now i, I <laughs> think that we should that? really start moving i think that we've established that overall <laughs> like we kind of liked it can i say that on behalf of both of us we kind of liked it Yes, I want to say that, again, like I said before, with my blinders on, without being poisoned by knowledge, I liked it. Okay, well, let's let's take a, a bite. <laughs> let's take a bite of the poisoned apple. Yeah. Let's take the blinders off. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're no longer in the Matrix here. Sure. Uh, I had some issues. 
Oh yeah. I, I, uh, yeah. Well, do you want to dive into those issues specifically because we could lead up to Arlong Park because we do have, let's see, one, two, three, four islands, I think covered here. Um, Mm -hmm. and Arlong Park is obviously the last of the four. And I think this, this all leads kind of into a very specific thing adaptationally that leads into Arlong Park. Uh, and the problems I have with Arlong Park, <laughs> but we could, but we could, t- if you want to talk about like uh, the problematic aspect, we could dive into that. I just think there is a very funny problematic aspect that they decide to completely ignore on Usopp's island in particular. Uh, well, let's start there. Let's 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 lead up to the Arlong Park stuff because that's what really hit me in the face. But, okay, okay, you know, this you is know, great. Let's, let's start where where it conflicts with the, with the manga. Okay, this is perfect because like this is this is by far the biggest and most foundational departure from the manga and almost feels to me like a misunderstanding of what One Piece is. Literally from a schematic angle. Uh-huh. One Piece the biggest change they made in the live action adaptation was removing how do I say this? humans Removing humanity, uh, removing the populace, the people that represent the the lived experience of the world. Okay. So let's start off. Uh, maybe you'll 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 be able to identify the trends here. Okay. Island one. I don't know if you remember island one. <laughs> island one was. Uh, was that Orange Town? It was the the first marine base we come across. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Now, uh, we meet Zoro there, right? He is being crucified. <laughs> <laughs> no problems with that. No problems. That is not problematic at all. I don't want yeah. to make any bones about that. Uh, crucify who you want. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so what is, what is going on on that island? Uh, they, they don't really make it clear. We know that. Uh, Kobe's problem with the Marines is that they're trying to execute an innocent man, right? Uh-huh. Um, that's kind of our, our big story moment. Okay, well, let me let me put this out there, that um, the fact that they use the term world government, that sets off flags for me. Uh, it is interesting, and that is something they did not adapt at all. There is literally a world government that they talk about quite a lot, and the Marines are literally the enforcement arm of the world government. Uh, <laughs> that's a thing. What, what is missing? Let's, let's go into it. So the town that the Marine base exists in, mm-hmm. and this is not subtle in any way. These people have been enslaved by the Marines. Uh, our main man, Axe, Axe Hand, Axe Hand Morgan. He doesn't seem like a good dude. Is not only a bad dude. Um, he's literally a slaver. He has enslaved the people of the town. Uh, they are they are being trampled uh, underfoot. Now, oh, that's what, bad. Oh, I don't like that at all. These people are terrified, and this is a this is going to be a common occurrence. This is what I mean by the big adaptational move here. The reason Zoro is crucified in the manga is because the the dipshit son. Is, and not that they're in a bar and get into a conflict. It is that the dipshit son is letting his giant dog maul a little girl in the middle of the street, and Zoro cuts it in half. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. Now, 
I, I understand why they don't want to uh, introduce Zoro by c- having him kill a dog. <laughs> I, you know, I get that. I realize that's why they wouldn't want to introduce that the dipshit son character in that context when they obviously are doing kind of like a like a bonding thing with him and Kobe in the show. Yes, which is again like a big thing that happens. Remember, like I said, in the uh, chapter heading uh, mini stories, it so Uh it happens over a very long period of time that we are reintroduced in these characters, which is again one of the biggest charms of One Piece is the way that these characters intermingle over long periods of time in this world. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> Zoro is immediately crucified because anyone who stands up to Axan Morgan or his family uh, are either Im- immediately executed or imprisoned forever. And this isn't limited to bounty hunters. This is every single person in town. These people are literally oppressed. Uh, when Luffy shows up, uh, he doesn't really care because, again, he does not really care about anything. Uh, these people uh, don't really mean anything to him. But Kobe has a problem. Kobe immediately identifies that these people are being enslaved by the local Marine base and his heart is broken because he's, you know, he wants to be a Marine and he realizes, oh, Marines can be bad guys. They touch on that a little bit in the live action, but in this one, uh, no, they're like executing little girls and enslaving people and Axehand himself is chopping heads off. Uh, it's bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, Axand really goes out of his way to establish that I am this. I am a slaver, and I own this town. Well, I feel like maybe a a theme that gets explored uh, is that Marines aren't any different than pirates. They just have, you know, a government sanction to do what this they're is, doing. You have identified one of the core themes of One Piece in general. Yes, uh, <laughs> you've landed it. Yeah, even from page one, you have gotten it. Uh, One Piece is nothing if not consistent on this one thing. So a big aspect that is immediately left off, and you can see, is uh, the participation of the village itself. Mm -hmm. Uh, These people don't exist outside of the little girl, and the little girl is fairly inconsequential, right? We don't really understand what her role is or why she's there. Well, I feel like Oda's style is to maybe bring her back in a very significant way, like 400 chapters later. Well, she spends a lot of time with Kobe in the story we understand, uh, because Kobe spends a lot of time at that town and in that base as they rebuild. Uh, because Axehan Morgan gets the death penalty and they uh, <laughs> Garp shows up and he reestablishes the base. That's the implication anyway. Okay. Um, uh, so they save the little girl's life. And the townsfolk, uh, you know recognize that Luffy is their hero. Luffy and Zoro is their hero, and they have to smuggle them out before uh, the Marines show up. Uh, Then we get to uh, our second island, right? Which in this version is what? I think that's... Well, that's that's the second island, I think, is where they confront Buggy um, on his ship, because remember, Nami uh, runs out of the tent and is confronted by the the destroyed town. Uh, Right, yes. I don't know if that counts, if that's what you were thinking of. Uh, I think that was Orange Town uh, they said they were at. Yes, right, 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 right. Which, you know, we didn't we didn't talk about it before, but um, I actually, I, I liked Buggy. I thought he did okay. Yeah, Buggy's fine. I think he did a good job. He actually, he was the one that actually brought something to the character. Dude had energy. He was selling the role, and I appreciate that. Yes, 
So uh, I think Island 2 is notable because it introduces another aspect that will become a mainstay of every single island from now on. Mm -hmm. Uh, They arrive and it's Orangetown or whatever. I forget the name. Um, I'm bad at names. Uh, And Luffy doesn't really know what's going on. He meets Nami because, uh, you know, Nami has sailed in with the ship that she has stolen from the dipshits. That's all true, you know. And she shows up, and her goal is, uh, you know, she's going to, you know, steal from pirates. That's her whole deal, right? Uh-huh. Luffy doesn't really care about any of this. He doesn't really care about Buggy. He doesn't care about the townsfolk. But the chief of the town shows up, right? And he's pretty aggro. He's basically, he has decided to die mm-hmm. in, in his attempt to assault the town. Now, he's shown up because he is uh, determined to feed a dog. And this is... This is our first uh, introduction of this concept. There is a Hachiko in the town. You know what I mean by that? Yeah, I know what you mean by that. Yeah. It sits outside the pet store that his owner lived at and guards it. So sad. Yeah, guards it every day uh, and refuses to move. What a good boy. Yeah. In fact, one of the big gags is that when Luffy is... uh, immediately captured uh zoro instead of lifting up the big safe or whatever i think that they did zoro actually picks up the cage and tosses it into the town uh and when nami shows up with the key that she's stolen the dog eats it classic (laughs) luffy tries to beat up the dog to get the key because again he's a fucking asshole (laughs) but uh the story of the dog uh chuchu i think is its name and its relationship to the chief uh of the town and their relationship to the dead man is the the, the beating heart of this island and it, the island story mm-hmm. uh in, in fact we see the dog or, do you remember there is a crew member who has a giant lion in buggy's uh crew he's the guy with the ears that are actually his hair uh, i don't know if you remember this guy i don't there so buggy has two crew members uh one is the the edge lord Right, the the guy that introduced uh, is introduced as kind of like a counterpart to Zoro. He's antagonizing Zoro. He's an acrobat edge lord, and the other guy is a beast tamer. Okay, right. Uh, and he shows up with his big lion, and the dog refuses to move because the lion wants to eat the pets, the pet store, basically all of the pet store. <laughs> um, and the dog gets beaten up, like almost to death. Uh, but it mm-hmm. refuses to move, and this is luffy's trigger because luffy despite being all those things i said he he will not stand for someone's dream to be trampled on and that dog's treasure is the pet store uh so he watches this dog get beaten to death defending its treasure and that's what makes luffy move uh into action and and of course and also the chief head the chief head's like that's it if you guys aren't gonna go kill buggy uh, because, you know, Nami and Zoro are like, fuck this. Let's just leave. Mm-hmm. Um, the chief goes, well, I'm going to go kill him. And so Luffy punches him so hard he gets knocked out uh, and goes, I'll do it. Uh, and this is when the rest of the village who have been anxious about the chief, they really care about him uh, even more so than their village. And he's been gone too long. They decide to take up arms and storm Buggy's uh, circus. They have agency and they participate. And after... Luffy basically kills Buggy for the most part, uh, almost kills Buggy, and they take the treasure and they run away. The chief head is still knocked out. The villagers mistake 
them as the pirates who caused everything. Uh, okay. And so they, they chase him out of town until the chief wakes up and he says, no, you fools, stop it. I need to catch them before they leave. I need to thank them. Uh, and so the villagers, you know, realize their mistake and they, they basically tearfully wave them away as they, they sail off, right? Okay. So where are you going with this? When we get to Usopp's village, right? The main sob story is, of course, Kaya. Right. But it's also Usopp's relationship to the village, and it's the relationship to his his three pirate crew. Also, and this is uh, the problematic uh, Michael Jackson character shows up. Um, uh oh. Who is who is, who is uh, 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 Captain Kuro's uh, first mate? Is Mike basically Michael Jackson? A Michael Jackson who is a hypnotist, uh, because the plan is to hypnotize Kaya into si- signing this will. Okay. And Usopp's big uh, thing is that he loves the village so much and he loves these villagers so much that he does everything he can to keep them from being involved. And Kaya gets chased through the forest and the kids uh, almost die protecting her because that was Usopp's last order before they think he died. And so again, we get uh, you know this this rousing... A story of villagers uh, kind of being uh, victimized, but with the blowing of the wind, uh, our uh, mysterious strangers have rolled into town and they have given them the courage to stand up to death, right? Right. Uh, right. Well, that's the classic, that's the, the seven samurai story. Yes. Now we get to Sanji. Sanji is working at the Barati, right? The restaurant. Baratier. Baratier. The crew is really sick of Sanji's shit. They actually all think Sanji is a manipulative piece of shit, and he's trying to get the owner killed so that he can become the head chef, right? Uh, so when a pirate washes up on Baratie's fins, is what they call it in the manga. This ship has big fins. Big uh, they fins. All, yeah, they all refuse to serve him. They're like, you should just fucking die, because he is the, he is the crew member of, uh, I think, Don Krieg. They're like, well, if you feed him and let him go, he's just going to go bring back Don Krieg. Uh, and Sanji's like, I don't give a fuck. I'm going to feed him. Um, and we, again, we get doled out his his sob story, right? You're talking about the guy that uh, that shows up all banged up and, and asking for food. Yes, that is a guy called uh, Jin. So when they release that guy, he says, you know, I, I, I can, I'll never forget what you did. Uh, and Luffy shows up. And uh, dipshit marines fire a cannon at him, so he rebounds the, the cannonball and explodes part of Baratier, so he has to hang out for a week. Uh, after a while, uh, that Jin character shows back up with Don Krieg's fleet, which is all fucked up, by the way. And Don Krieg, uh, after some, you know, weird twists and turns, uh, basically declares war on the ship. He says, I'm going to take your ship. It's mine sure. now. I'm going to kill every one of you. Seems like a pirate thing to do. Yeah, and take your ship. And, uh, you know, for the most part, Luffy's like, I don't really care again. Because at this point, uh, uh, Nami has stolen their ship and Zoro has taken off after them. So Luffy's kind of left here alone by himself. And he's just fucking around. Unsupervised. Yeah. But as the fight unfolds, you know, Don Krieg is essentially unstoppable. He actually wears armor made out of gold and diamonds. Dope. And they have a, a big fight, and, and Don Krieg is destroying Luffy because uh, he's way smarter than Luffy, like every character <laughs> is in Vaga. He's shooting him with spears and shit. But Gin takes uh, the head chef hostage and forces Sanji to give up on fighting back. And so Luffy gets more and more pissed off watching Sanji intentionally get his ass beat 
until he gets so fucking pissed off, he he basically beats up Sanji himself. He's like, you fucking asshole. Like, this is your treasure and you're not defending it? What is wrong with you? You're not a man. Uh, I'll do it myself. Fine. Like, if you're all fucking cowards, I'll do it myself. And so, you know, he goes beast mode. Eventually, through manga bullshit, Gin, who is holding the the head chef hostage, is so moved by all of this and by Sanji's uh, story and by feeling indebted that he 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 removes his hostage. He says, "I let you go. I'll I'll fight you one on one combat." And at this point, everybody is involved. All the chefs are beaten to hell. All of the pirates are beaten to hell. They're all watching Sanji get his ass beat, and Sanji is watching Luffy get his ass beat, but. Luffy gets so fucked up uh, that he looks like he's pretty much dead, but he gets up, right? Spider-Man, like, he gets up. Sure. And Sanji is so baffled by this that the idea that he would just keep going, that he tries to stop him. He tries to say, we, fuck this. Just give him the ship. I don't." That's a pretty classic a- shonen trope, the uh, the protagonist's unstoppable will to, to, to attain their goal. Yeah, exactly. And, and even the crew at that point are like, well, stop it, Luffy. This is ridiculous. And Luffy's like, it doesn't matter. How dare you not defend your treasure, right? Uh, and, you know, like like it said, Gin actually like gives up on holding them hostage because he's also so moved that somebody would have the courage to fight for what they actually believe in, you know? And they kill Don Krieg. He really fucks up Don Krieg. He doesn't kill him, but he fucks him up really bad. Uh, and all the crew members who are, uh, you know, uh, cooks and all the all the servers and, and cleaners and all that stuff uh, declare themselves victorious and they have a big party and they all have to, you know, f- basically punk out Sanji, turn their back on him and force him out um, before he will join Luffy's crew. These these guys don't really do that in the adaptation. They're, they basically don't exist uh, because the Marines are the ones that show up. Right. And finally, we get to Arlong Park, right? And this is the, the most we ever get of this idea. And uh, the sob story here uh, is obviously Nami's sob story, but it is the entire village's sob story because we get many, many village characters. Uh, in fact, in this version, Nami isn't shunned. Uh, she's basically uh, ignored by most of the villagers, but we find out that it is performative. The villagers all know what she's going through and Nami's sister specifically knows in fact Nami's sister uh is the one like boarding her and like keeping her alive and feeding her and the only reason Nami can keep going is because her sister's love I mean they pay lip service to it in the in the script yeah sort of but the the point being that our entire village is is secretly supporting her like they know what's going through what she's going through and they're trying their best to support her and not give up the fight so that she can keep going. Um, so we get a lot of the village head. Uh, in fact, I really wish they had kept his pinwheel. He wears a pinwheel on his head. Uh, that's where the pinwheel thing comes well, from. They, they, they gave him a cross on his hat for some reason. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck that's about, but the pinwheel is not, is not like uh, the Bellamere uh, thing. It, it is from his hat. He wears it. Because when Nami is a baby, she's afraid of him, and he's like, I don't want you to be afraid, so he puts the pinwheel on his head. Cute. Yeah, it's very cute. And the whole story about it is, like, Nami has a much closer relationship. We get lots of uh, stuff from her childhood, and we get a much more fleshed-out version of her story. And, 
lots of stuff like how Bellamere, it's not like the beginning of uh, Glorious Bastards like they do it in the live action. It's actually Bellamere just straight up admits that she has children because she is so emotionally invested in them that she cannot lie about it. That's why she dies. I mean, I feel that's kind of silly, but, you know, that's me. It, it's, there is a lot of machinations going on. It, it's put in an interesting context. So we have uh, way, way more villager stuff, right? And we're getting villager stories, especially our main man is getting a lot of airtime. Uh, and so when Luffy shows up and Zora shows up and, and eventually Usopp shows up, they all kind of stagger their way in. Nami, uh, basically, to spare both of their lives, she, she saves Zoro's life uh, and Usopp's life. And in fact, when she saves Usopp, she literally stabs herself, which she does again later on, which they kept in the show. Very funny. Yes, uh, very funny and good. Uh, meanwhile, Luffy shows up and uh, he doesn't really know what to do and he doesn't really care. He doesn't. <laughs> they keep confronting him with the sob story and the sob story of the village. And he's like, he's literally like, I don't care. Stop talking to me. I'm gonna. I'm in fact. I'm gonna go to sleep in the middle of the street. Uh, in fact, Nami's sister tries to tell him the whole sob story, and he's like, "I don't want to hear it," and he walks off. God, I wish that was me. Yeah, but we eventually get all this stuff, and the the Marines steal her treasure, Ugh. and uh, she's at her wits' end, and she storms back to Arlong Park, and she makes the whole thing about how dare you do that, and he's like, "Well, what do you care? I'm gonna keep you forever," uh, and she's like, "Ugh," and she's so distraught. She runs back to the village, and all of the villagers are there and they all talk to her. We have this group, you know, experience where they all share their own experiences and they tell Nami, we knew the whole time we care about you. That's why we, you know, we love you and your sister and we love Bellamere. And that's why we decided not to suicide ourselves against the pirates this entire time. And knowing that you have, you failed basically that your money is gone and uh, we are going to just go in there and kill all of them or get killed. So they all charge off to be suicidal, right? And that's that triggers Nami's complete sorrow that she's lost everything and now everyone's going to die because of her. And that what that's leads to one of the the most famous scenes in One Piece, which they do recreate. Wait, which scene is that? Luffy wakes up and Nami goes, "I hate you. I wish you'd never come here. Why don't you just fucking leave? Get out of here. None of this has anything to do with you." And she's stabbing herself in the arm, right? With She's stabbing her tattoo. She's trying to cut it off. Uh-huh. And he walks up and he catches her arm. And she tells him to fuck off. She tells him she hates him. She tells him that she wishes they had never come to the village. Uh, and Luffy doesn't say anything. He, he, gets, he gets that dark eye thing in manga when characters he, are really serious. Yeah. God, I love uh, that. And she starts crying and she's crying and crying. And, and she turns to him with, you know, all the, the, the big anime tears. And she goes, Luffy, help me. And Luffy doesn't say anything. He just takes the straw hat off and puts it on her and then walks off. Uh, and then we get the great frame where, like, he walks past Sanji and Zoro and Usopp and he says, let's go. And it's really great. It's incredibly effective. Like, I get chills thinking about it. It's really good. Uh, and they do it on the show, and I think they do a, a pretty good job of it. But without the rest of the context, especially that the village itself has decided to, like, go suicide mode, uh, I think it loses and, the, you know, it loses a lot of the impact. OK, so your your main issue is that the truncated version of this story and the way they've switched around the characters uh, doesn't give the same impact as the build up in, in the comic to, to these moments. Well, no, no. Uh, my big issue and. Uh, 
I know I'm rambling here. I'm sorry I made it so long-winded. You're absolutely rambling. I'm trying to reel you I'm in I'm sorry here. I'm rambling. But the point is, so One Piece has a format that it uses over and over and over again, and to great effect. Uh, a village is being oppressed, right? Mm-hmm. The people of that village are are reaching a climax where uh, like conflict is at a head, where something has to give, right? Right. We have we usually have a central character, even though we have lots of characters per island. But we have a central character who is somehow related to the heart of this conflict, and they are to the point where they have to do something, but they haven't admitted it to themselves yet because they feel afraid of change. They feel that change is going to be a negative thing, and the village kind of uh, ex- accepts that usually. That uh, if we change something now, something bad, even worse, is going to happen. That's when. Luffy and his crew show up, who are, again, not incidental to these stories, but they are they are fulcrums for the village itself. Right. They force change. And when the character who is our beating heart of that village kind of realizes that the status quo has been broken forever, uh, they have to fight to the death and overcome whatever thing is holding them back uh, in order to push themselves into the future. And when Luffy, this is the only thing that ever moves Luffy to action for other people, is when he sees someone fighting to the death for their dream, for their treasure, uh, for the sake of their own future, he steps in. And his inability to lose, his self-confidence, his strength, uh, inspires a better future for everyone involved. And that is that is the change. Uh, a darkness is swept away and a light dawns on whatever village they're at that is the schematic for every single thing that happens in one piece and in the live action version those people just don't exist there are no villagers i mean we get lip service sort of at every once in a while but the stories are not about them they're always about luffy and his interaction with the crew or whatever crew member he's getting those stories are central to one piece obviously but the idea of leaving all of those other people out of it and leaving their stories out of it and not focusing on them leaves out the part of One Piece that is life-affirming, that is about humanity and humanity's goodness, which is what One Piece is about. It's about revolutionary change is what brings people together and makes life worth living. That is One Piece. And to leave that stuff out is the biggest adaptational move that this live-action version uh, makes. And I understand why, again, they wanted to tell this story. Like I said way, way at the beginning, I get why they they made this foundationally about uh, recruiting the crew. That's what this season is about. Uh, They didn't want to just do one or two islands as their entire first season, for whatever reason. They felt like they had to get the core five together. But there is enough story on one island to fill easily fill eight episodes and make those islands truly their own arcs that become emblematic of what One Piece is as a whole. And that is about revolutionary change. And revolutionary change happens at the societal level, not the individual level. And portraying Luffy as an individualist, as someone who is a great man, uh, capital G, capital M, is 100% the opposite of what One Piece is about. So that is my big rant. 
that is what this One Piece show does wrong and is why knowing what I know about the manga makes me not like the show. I thought you were going to talk about how they compared the Fishmen thing to racism. The Fishmen thing is very interesting because... <laughs> no, you should just men... end the episode right there. Just, uh, just hard cut. <laughs> Good. What makes the Fishmen thing weird in both the manga and the show is that the Fishmen are literally enslaving all the regular... Uh, I don't want to say it, but uh, the white people. <laughs> as revenge for the racism and the yes, slavery. As racism and the slavery, yes. And this is, uh, I got to say, even worse in the manga. Um, uh, it's not a great thing. Uh, <laughs> not good. Uh, and le- actually, the show leans into them being black people by coding all the, the fishmen using like the trap music that they play in every scene they're in. And like, yeah, specifically using like, uh, like Arlong is like 100% a like black dude. He's codified that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, what a weird choice. Uh, I gotta say it, it raised an eyebrow. <laughs> uh, you know, I think honestly, what do you even do though? Because that is true to the manga. I mean, that is very true. And it becomes a pillar of the story moving on. Like, uh, they talk a little bit about the big fishman crew, uh, the fishmen pirates at the Grand Line, and there is a lot to do with them. They are foundational again to the story. But I'm just I, saying, I if you if you want to introduce the themes of of racism and prejudice to the story, uh, and you want to do an allegory like that, maybe it's not the most tactful thing to have uh, the minority group start off as the villains. <laughs> yeah, and also be, you know, a big group of white people. Um, being enslaved by uh, a, a black coded uh, uh, quote That's all I'm saying. Mutant. That's all I'm saying. It, it, you know, I do that every day of my, or I don't do that every day of my life. <laughs> you, uh, which, wait, which one is all it? All right. We are way over time. I think that we need to wrap this up. Hey, you want to, you want to talk about one piece. I, I did. I and I am you, satisfied. Yeah. <laughs> Like I had a lot to say about One Piece. I, I One Piece is huge. It deserves uh, having a big discussion. And I at least wanted to say the biggest problem with the live action thing, and that is hard to describe uh, without getting into like what One Piece fundamentally is about. So, I, and I'm not sure if I even really articulated that very well. But I I, I really want to stress that. One Piece is about revolutionary change at a societal level. And, and the, you know, the stumbling block of the manga is that it does often lean into, like, one great man facilitating that change. Is Luffy a conservative icon? <laughs> uh, you know what? This is a weird thing about Luffy. Luffy is a pirate, and piracy in—I don't know if they get this across in the live action either. Piracy is about supporting uh, anarchy, essentially. And not anarchy, anarchy. I mean, like, uh, like the sociological anarchy. It's you know like living uh, without a centralized government. Uh, yeah, basically uh, uh, about uh, self governance. Can we say that if that's less controversial? Uh, nothing is less controversial. <laughs> that's that's what being a pirate means in One Piece. Uh, that's how Luffy interprets it, and that's how a lot of the other pirates interpret it. Some asshole out there has been like, "Oh man, that's libertarian." That, that affirms my values. Well, it's sort of. I mean, you can. You, there is a libertarian reading if you want to do it that way. I say that's, you know, objectively incorrect again. But 
But I will. It is weird uh, how many monarchies uh, Luffy helps to uphold. That's a weird thing uh, about One Piece. He he saves a lot of kings and queens and princesses. Uh, props up a lot of monarchies. Well, okay, I I get that. I feel like maybe that is more leaning into the the fantasy aspect of it, right? I think that's maybe Oda's, the limits of Oda's imagination clashing with uh, what he's trying to say about uh, the world. I, I, yeah. I, yeah, I, I do think that's uh, listen, uh, not Listen, no gods, no leaders, but sometimes kings are cool. Sometimes kings, you know, every yeah. once in a while. You know, if a princess is cute, like, she should be able to rule. <laughs> I mean, we touch on it a little bit with Kaya, but, like, the one person on the village who, like, is extraordinarily wealthy uh, and owns everything. Um, but she's like a sickly cute little girl. Like it's fine. And then <laughs> like, what? <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm, I am spent. Uh, I know that I All want right. to talk about one piece, but we have been here for two goddamn hours. Uh, I, I think that we have conveyed our <laughs> feelings on the subject and I have no doubt that it's going to pop up uh, once we get into more of this live action stuff. If you were bored by me rambling about One Piece, uh, you can blame Nate because he wanted to talk about it. It's true. Uh, heap all the blame on me. But I think overall, uh, my opinion, I kind of liked it. And uh, I think that I, I get One Piece now and I'm kind of uh, I'm kind of sold on the idea. Yeah, look, uh, you know, watch this, and if anything kind of strikes you, read One Piece. Like, big ups One Piece. Uh, just read One Piece in general. Uh, One Piece is good. Sorry about all the bad, stupid shit in it. Uh, I promise you the other stuff is worth it. Yeah, I, that's something we didn't even touch on. I, I, I have seen some original uh, character designs from the manga, and and I do think that they adapted some of them in in the correct fashion. Uh, well, uh, yeah, I, I that we can't even get into that. I can't even get to that. Hey, you know what? Maybe after you've read some One Piece, we can re we can revisit this. How about that? All right, let's. I can. I'll take you up on that. In fact, I will read the first ninety six chapters of One Piece to bring me up to speed with what the show is adapted. Excellent. You are going to be surprised. All right. Uh, is that it? Are we done here? Oh my God. I think we're done here. I could say more stuff. All I have left to say is uh, we love you, dear, handsome, beautiful listener. Thank you All for right. being here. Handsome and beautiful listeners, please read One Piece. Are uh, we done here? We're done here. Bye. Bye. <laughs>